Christ. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. That's what we're going to look at is the, the community, the gospel-shaped community within the body of Christ. As I thought about this, you know, we live in a world that is increasingly divided. We live in a world where there are so many things that create conflict, create division, and we're, we're living in a world where there's less and less, and part of this is because of our own choices. Part of this is because of the condition of the last months of our lives. But we are increasingly a depersonalized society. We, we don't see people as people. We see them maybe as a face, primarily as a name. And, you know, it's a lot easier to be rude to a name than it is somebody face-to-face. Uh, some of you, I'm scared to be rude to you. I'm afraid of what y'all might. It's a little harder to do that face. But we see them as a real person. It's not about maybe how what harm they might do to us. But we see them as a real person. When all oh, you see them as a name or you see them just in passing. You know, we know more about people that we know less than ever before. We know more details about people that we don't really know than probably any time in history. It used to be that if I wanted to get to know somebody, if I wanted to know about them, I had to first get to know them. I love getting to know people. I love just getting to sit and listen to people tell me their stories. And I hear and I I learn a lot about people by listening to what they're saying. But now we can know all sorts of details about other people um, and not really know them all that well. In fact, if you go on social media, you can find out a lot about a person and they don't even know that you know it. It's called stalking. (laughs) I can tell by your laughter you know exactly what I'm talking about. And from the tone of your laughter, I can tell that some of you do it. Don't do this during the service, but try sometime. Go online and Google your own name. You might be surprised what information about you is out there. So it is possible for us to know more about people that we know less than probably it's ever been. And yet we're disconnected. We don't see people. We, are, we, can, you know, we can do pretty much everything we want to do from the comforts of our home. We can order our groceries from our home. We don't have to go into the grocery store and encounter all the, the perils of going down the produce aisle. We can, and amen, it's a dangerous place apparently. We can, we can order everything we want to off of Amazon and we don't have to go in the stores. And all the men said, amen, we, we did not have to. Go actually into some place. So when there's, there's reasons we enjoy this. Uh, we can go to Walmart and go through the self-checkout. And I, before you, I know some of you hate it and some of you love it. Don't get together after the service and have a brawl over which is better. I, I hear about this all the time. But the point is, is that I can go to a, my whole life without actually engaging with someone. Now, there's some of us that our personalities are more attuned to that. I understand that. And I'm not saying one is more spiritual than the other, but I'm saying it's getting more and more to where we're surrounded by faces often of people that we don't really know. Our loneliest moments can come in the largest crowds. And we don't have that sense of connectedness. Part of this started years ago when communities and people began to move away Part of it was for jobs. Part of it was, uh, you know, sometimes I think about Lynn and I's family, and all of our families pretty much spread all over from the places where they grew up. Up until about two generations ago, all my family had lived right in the same spot, right in the same region and community. And now uh, we're pretty much all spread all over the place. And so we're, we're disconnected from our roots. And in that, 
Some of that is because of bad choices, but much of it's just simply because of the world in which we live. And it doesn't matter what culture or what time or what world we live in, God has designed us for community. Community is more than just living in close proximity to people. Community is having things in common. And the one thing that we all have in common, if we're part of the church, the body of Christ, the one thing we have in common is that we are all in Jesus Christ. And that's what our text points us to this morning. I want you to see some truths. Over the next weeks, we're going to look at the different levels, the different aspects of community that we have been brought into. Let me do this real quick. I'm going to just take a few minutes to, to point us to this because I believe this is, this is a beautiful, beautiful truth. Two of the great works, the two great works that God has done in this world are creation and redemption. Creation and redemption. It is what we will worship and God is being worshipped in heaven right now for these two works. In Revelation chapter 4, it's the beginning of the throne room scene in heaven and they are worshipping the Creator. They are worshiping the Father as the Creator. And then in chapter 5, we see that He is the, slain, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and they are worshiping Christ as the Lamb, as the Redeemer. The two great works that God has done, He has created and He is redeeming. And all the other works fall into that. It's what brings value to individuals, the value of a person's life. Every person that you encounter is of value and is of, is of importance because they are a created image bearer of God. They were created in His image. So every single person has that value, that innate value to their life. But they are also valuable because every human being that you encounter is a soul for whom Christ died. Creation and redemption. And if we look at this truth of gospel-shaped community, we see that this connection, relationship, is what we were both created for and we are redeemed for. We were created to be in relationship with God. And the work of redemption is to restore us to that relationship. This morning, I hope that you will see from this truth if you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are not in a relationship with God, that you will see the beauty and the blessedness of having the relationship that God has both created you for and seeks to redeem you for. If you are a child of God, I hope you see the beauty and the blessedness of what God has done to bring us into relationship with Him. Aren't you glad that He is more than just some vague distant deity in the sky, but he is a close, loving, heavenly father. We can rejoice in that relationship. I want you to see these verses this morning. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Walk like you are a Christian. Walk like you're saved. Behave like you're saved. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, putting up with each other, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In order to keep the Spirit of unity and the bond of peace, you have to put up with each other in love. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I will just very quickly and kindly point out to all of you 
that Paul is a southern Jew. He did not say he is in you guys are youans. He says he is in you all. Can I get an amen? That's a good place to say amen. Just a little side point, just to bless you this morning. Nothing extra. Verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace. I love this verse. Unto every one of us in the church who are believers, every child of God is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We know from Scripture that we were created for relationship. We were created for community. Primarily relationship with God. God designed Adam in his image to have that relationship with him. This is a good place to talk about the, the relationship within God and the Trinity. If you haven't attended or not, haven't planned to attend one of our grow classes, Pastor James is uh, leading a grow class on the Trinity and me. That is not, he's not forming a Southern Gospel Quartet. Um, that's, that's a truth. The truth about the practical nature of the Trinity. And that is the, the blessedness of the unity and the communion within God. God did not create man because he was lonely. There is nothing lacking or needy in God. God is self-sufficient. God is all that he needs. So God's not sitting there in eternity saying, man, it sure would be nice to have somebody to hang out with. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were doing a pretty good job of communing with one another from eternity or in eternity past. So God didn't create us because he needed somebody to hang out with. God created us to bestow his love upon us, but he, he created us to be able to have that communion with him. We are created to have the similar communion that is between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are created to have that same communion with God and with others. And as God has created Adam, do you remember what he said about him? It is not good that man should be what? Alone. It's not good. Now, we all need solitude from time to time. All of us need a break from the wretches of humanity. Not that there's any of those here this morning. We all need a break. But none of us are designed for perpetual solitude. We are created for a relationship. We are created, we are hardwired to need to be with other human beings. But above all, we are hardwired to have a relationship with God. That's that creative work. Sin destroys community. That's what it does. It destroys relationship. It destroys relationship in churches. How many churches have been divided and hurt and destroyed because of sin in the church or because sinful people create conflict within the church? Sin divides in the family. Sin destroys community within a family. Many, many families have been broken and driven apart because of sin, because of pride, because of lust, because of, of arrogance, because of greed. Sin divides in communities, and sin divides and separates us from God. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. After they sinned, God put them out of the garden, and he put a guard of angels at the gates of the garden. The real important truth of that, some people have tried to locate where is the Garden of Eden? Look, I don't know where it is, and I don't know that anybody does, and it really doesn't matter. The truth of that is, is that man has been separated by his sin from God. We need to understand the severity of that. 
We need to understand how wicked and terrible sin is. Sin not only destroys relationship and community among human beings, it separates us from the one relationship that we were most created for. We were created, let us make man in our image, God said. And that has separated us from God. But I'm glad that the gospel restores community. You see, sin offers a false sense of community. Sin says true community is not important. Sin says um, it's a, here's, here's something that's better than what God has offered. But salvation, the gospel, restores community. And I want you to see that in this passage this morning. Look with me quickly. I want to point out to you three things. First of all, the gospel brings us into community within the church. Look in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is how many bodies? One body. And how many spirits? One spirit. Even as you are called in what? One hope of your calling. We are brought into one. We are brought into the body of Christ. When you and I trusted Christ as our Savior, if you believed in Christ, you at that very moment were baptized into the body of Christ. That's what water baptism represents. Water baptism is a visible manifestation of a spiritual reality that took place when you and I got saved. You and I did not see ourselves baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And the problem is is that for me to try to be a believer and to not be a part of the local body of Christ, the visible body of Christ, is as foolish as me to think that I can be saved and somehow not be in Christ. We've been brought into the body. That is God restoring a sense of community. You see, the the church and the family and my redemptively restored relationship with my Heavenly Father is all the means that God uses to enable me to experience and to satisfy the deepest needs of my heart for connection and relationship and community. And what a lot of people are looking for and seeking for they are going to tainted wells to try to find something that will satisfy is other forms of connection and relationship and belonging and acceptance. But I am glad that Ephesians chapter 1 says that he, God, has made me a sinner accepted in his beloved. Aren't you glad you're part of God's beloved? He has made us accepted in his beloved. So the gospel brings us into community with the church. The word church, ecclesia, is the called out assembly. It is a group of believers that have come together and been called together in assembly for the purpose of fellowship, for the purpose of joint worship of God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, because of the relationship that we have with God, we have fellowship one with another. Do you know what the important basis of our fellowship together as Christians is it's not that we are all part of the same political party. It's not that we are all hold the same ideological stand and views. We are different. We are diverse. What binds us together is that we are one in Christ. We are one in Him and we have been brought together. The Christian life was never intended to be lived in solitude, in separation from other believers. 
There are those who, over the years and the centuries of the church years ago, thought, the farther I can get away, I'm around people, and people provoke me to do wrong things, and there's temptation when I'm living near people, and if I can get just far enough away, and maybe some of us have felt that way. Man, if I could live, you ever see those old movies, and there's the, the ranch out of the cabin way back up in the mountains, and it's way, and there's nobody nearby, the, the front gate's about a mile and a half away, and, and you're back up in there, and you think, man, I think I could live like that. Some of us would probably go slap crazy in about six months, but we'd enjoy it. We'd have fun. We don't suffer from our insanity. We enjoy every minute of it. We'd be great up there in the, away from everything. But we were not created for that, and these people got farther away. And they found out that the problem wasn't that, that we're around people. The sin wasn't just in other people. The sin was in them, and they, some of them did go crazy because they would go out and be by themselves, and they would literally think they were struggling and fighting with the devil and with the demons and temptation and the separation didn't do it it's not being alone that creates the sin we were not created the Christian life was not intended there are too many commands in the New Testament those one another commands that we cannot obey unless we are in fellowship with other people love one another forgive one another serve one another Show hospitality to one another. How do you do that if there's not a one another around to show it to? So we have to be together. That is the way God has designed the church. I always love the little story of the man that was in a shipwreck, and they found him 20 years later on an island, and when they discovered him, they finally went to rescue him, and they saw that there was three buildings on this island. They said, man, you've really been busy in 20 years. He said, well, I had plenty of time on my hands. They said, well, what are these buildings? He said, well, this first building over here is my house. He said, I needed some shelter, so that's the first thing that I built. And he said, this is the house that I live in. They said, well, what's this building over here? He said, well, that's the church that I attend every Sunday. He said, I'm a Christian man, and he said, I felt like I needed a place to worship, and I had the time, and I had the material, so I built a church, and that's the church that I go to. And they said, well, what's this third building over here? He said, well, that's the church that I used to go to. You see, you don't even have to have two people to have a church split. We were not created for that. And yes, some people have survived. But hey, even Tom Hanks had Wilson. We were not created for solitude perpetually. We were created to be a part of the body of Christ. The community of the church works on our sanctification. That's a part of God's work in our life. Look, we need each other. We need the people that get on our nerves. Now, don't start looking around. Some of you automatically. We need those even that have different personalities. Why? Because they bring out, God uses them like sandpaper sometimes to sanctify us and to make us smooth. Now, I heard someone say recently that we're supposed to be willing to be able to thank the people that do that because they make us humble. I have not yet attained that level of spirituality. God's still using those sandpaper people to, to re- help me reach that point. But there's a truth to that. God uses even difficult people in our lives. He doesn't just use the sweet people in our lives. He sometimes uses the sour people in our lives to sanctify us. And we would not get that apart from being in the community of the church, the community of faith. But there are those sweet people. There are those people that we look at and they motivate us to be better Christians. We see the love of Christ. We see God's grace at work in their life. And we say, God, that's what I want to be. 
I want to be like two ladies that I saw sit on the left side of the church every Sunday for years. They sat on the second pew on the, on the far side. And they had been in church their whole lives. They were in their 80s. They had studied the scriptures and they had taught the scriptures and they read their Bibles every day. And they knew more about the Bible than I probably will ever know. And they would sit there every Sunday with their Bibles open and their faces expected. Not because I was preaching, but because it was the Word of God and they were still hungry for it. And I say every day, God, I want to be like that. I want to be that Christian that never reaches the point they think they know everything. I always want to have that same hunger and thirst for your Word. And God used the body of Christ. God used other believers to draw me to that place and to show me what that looked like. And I remember others who have gone through cancer and they've gone through hard times and they've gone through family struggles and they've been through every kind of trial you can imagine. And I saw them go through it and make it through by the grace of God. And I say, God, if I ever go through that, that's the Christian I want to be. And that other believer has drawn out of me the desire and the heart and they've been used by God in my sanctification. You see, it's not just the preaching and teaching of God's Word that we hear in the pulpit and in the classroom that teaches us and instructs us. It is the lives and the examples of the brothers and sisters around us that draw out and God uses to teach us and to make us more like Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for many of you who have done that and are doing that in my life. When I see your faithfulness and I see your love for God and I see what you are doing and how you're experiencing and you're going through the trials you're going through, I see the grace of God in your life, and it is used by God in my life. But not just sanctification, but service. Think about the things that can be done by the body of Christ working together that can never be done by one person. Pastor James, we just came through Judgment House. I appreciate your leadership in that and all that you do in that. Can you do Judgment House by yourself? He's a talented actor, but it'd be kind of hard, wouldn't it? Can you imagine Pastor James running from room to room, being a guide, being an actor, being a counselor, taking registration? No, it takes the body of Christ. We could never do something like Judgment House if there weren't 100, what, 150 people that participated. We can do, to get, we can do more together than we can ever do individually. And so God created, He designed, He brought us into the body for us to accomplish so much more. And everything that we do has this concept in mind. We don't do things just to be busy. We don't do things just to have activities. Look, being busy does not make you more spiritual. It may make you more tired, but it doesn't make you more spiritual. And some of you are like me. When you're tired, you're not very spiritual. We do things to help draw people into community, not just with the church, but primarily with God. Why do we have a prayer trail? Some of you have already started. We're getting a few final things to do on that, but it's, it's walkable. It's not just so you can get some exercise. And can I get an amen that most of us need? We, amen, we need a little more exercise. It's not just about having a place to walk and get exercise. It's about a place where you can walk and pray and commune with God. And you can be drawn closer to God. It's about a place where you can bring friends to have gospel conversations. It's where you can come together and study the Word of God together along that trail and have time. It's, a, it's about community. 
We gathered yesterday and a number of families came together for our Kid Life Soccer. And we're not doing that just so we can have an activity on Saturday and on Thursday nights. And we're doing that because it brings people together to experience the unity and the community that they can have with brothers and sisters in Christ. And ultimately, if they do not have a relationship with God, that they will hear the gospel and be brought into that relationship with Him. I talked with someone yesterday at the field, and they were talking about a family member that was there. They said just getting them on the church property is a huge step. Why? Because they can come together. Now, we're not stopping there, and I'll mention more about that in a moment. But this is the goal. This is what drives, because redemption restores community. And we experience that within the body of Christ. But we not only provide it within the church, we also share it outside the church. This is, this is what we do. We both experience the community and we express it. This might be something as simple as when someone walks through the door welcoming them. Now, we have folks who that's their task and that's their ministry and they do an amazing job of welcoming. But looking and seeing somebody sitting near you that you've never seen before, welcome them. Let them, let them. Help them feel welcome. Help them to know that this is a place where we are joined together. We are a, we're, a fam- we're the family of God. It might be inviting someone to come. It might be showing love to that person that's hard to get along with. There's a multiple, multiplicity of ways that we can show community within the body, but then we show it without. We show the world this is what the love of God looks like. Look at verse 7. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We were created to use that grace for each other and for others. And God has enabled us to do that. But let me show you the most important truth this morning. And that is is that the gospel brings us into community, into relationship with God. If all we did was come together and experience a sense of community together, that would be wonderful. And we would probably be a little farther along than many churches. It'd be wonderful. Isn't it great to come together? Don't you love coming together and seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ? Isn't it wonderful to be able to walk through the doors of the church and not walk into a knockdown, drag-out brawl and be able to sit and enjoy the service and be blessed by the music and participate and see people that we love? That's great. But do you know there are organizations and groups in this world that can do that? There are families, there are human families that are not believers that get along perfectly well. They have a close sense of relationship. That's insufficient. That's not enough. It's not enough that we show to others and help them feel welcomed into our church family or welcome to our church. It's not enough that we engage people and we serve them through our core and care ministries and we we do good things for them. There There are secular agencies and groups that do that and maybe do it even better than the church does it. Our purpose, our goal, is to help people come into community relationship with God. Because a person can walk through those doors, and they can walk down the aisle, and they can become a part of the community of this church, but if they've never come into community and relationship with God, they will die and go to hell. How tragic would it be to go to hell from a church pew, and it happens. 
So we've got to not say, look, this is not enough. We've got to understand what God has done for us. If you're here this morning and you think because you're a member of the church and you're a, community, you're a member of a community of faith and you're a, a good standing uh, member of the community, that somehow that's going to get you into heaven, that will not get you into heaven. Being a member of Central Baptist Church is no guarantee that you'll walk through the gates of heaven. The only thing that will get you or I or anybody else into heaven is based on a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what our goal is. That's what we have. That's where we stand. I'm glad that I can speak of Him. We sang in the early service, I have known Him as a father and I've known Him as a friend. Aren't you glad that we have something more than just a membership in a, in a religious community? We have something more than just a, we're just more than a card-carrying Baptist. We're more than just religious. We are sons and daughters of the living God. And that is the relationship that we have. Aren't you glad that though you were separated from God, I was separated from God. I was born into a preacher's family. I was raised in church. I spent more time in church in my life in my early years than probably most anybody here has in their whole life. And I'm not exaggerating. But that didn't get me into heaven. There came a time in my life when I had to understand that my sins had separated me from God. And that the only way that my relationship with God could be restored was for my sins to be paid for. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the grave to pay for my sins and to bring new life to me and to take that relationship and that community that had been destroyed by sin, that that I was created for, he did his second great work and that is the work of redemption to bring me back into a relationship with God. And I can stand here today knowing that I am a child of God and that I am in a relationship with him and that is what we proclaim. That is what we offer. That is the message of the gospel. Gospel-shaped community is not just a bunch of religious people getting along. It's not just a bunch of people that like each other. It's not just a family that comes and sits on the same pew every Sunday. It's not just friends that like each other and get along and do things together. And, and church groups that have fellowship times. Those are wonderful. But what takes it the step beyond what takes it to a gospel-shaped community is when it is based on our relationship with Him. Truly, 1 John 1, 6 says, our fellowship is with the Father. Do you know that we're the only religion, to my understanding, in the world that refers to God as our Father? Why? Because He's more than just a deity. He's more than just some nebulous, mystic spirit that's out there somewhere in the universe, a higher power. Uh, you can tell I'm from the South, power. Higher power, excuse me for all those non-Southern friends. A higher power. He's more than that. He is my heavenly Father who loves me and cares for me, and I am in a personal relationship with Him, and I get to, when I come to church, I don't just fellowship with you. I don't just come into communion with you. I come into fellowship with my Father, and I can sing praises to Him because I am singing directly to Him, and I am praising Him, and I am worshiping Him, and I am experiencing His glory. And that's what I get to have because I am in 
a relationship, and I am part of his one body by one spirit, one Father, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in us all. That is the blessedness of gospel-shaped community. And that communion with God is what enables us to have communion with man. God first loved us so that we are able to love him, First John teaches so we ought also to love one another. God loves me. Because of that, I'm able to love him. And because of that love, I can love you. And we can love each other. Let me ask you something this morning. How is your communion with your Heavenly Father? I'm not asking you what's your relationship. Your relationship never changes. He is, if, you're, if you've trusted Christ, He's your heavenly Father. That never changes. But how's your communion with Him? How's your fellowship with Him? How's that relationship? Is it good? Is it strong? Is it continual? Is it, is it regular? Or is it just hit and miss? I talk to Him occasionally. I spend time with Him occasionally. How high a priority is your fellowship with your heavenly Father? There's a lot of things I can do right as a pastor and as a Christian and still be out of fellowship with God. I can preach sermons out of fellowship with God because I know how. You can come to church and sit in your pew and you know, pew, sit in these chairs and sing and worship and even look spiritual doing it and not be in fellowship with God. Sunday school teachers, you can teach Sunday school and be out of fellowship with God. All these things we can do. How's your fellowship? How's your communion with your Heavenly Father? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, I want you to know the blessedness, the full joy and blessedness of being loved by God and loving Him in return. There is something just incredibly amazing about times of worship when we in our way, in our own way, can express love for God. C.S. Lewis said this, that the expression of worship, the expression of gratefulness, the expression of praise is the fulfillment of it. That's the delight of it. That's the joy of it. And it's not fully experienced until it's expressed. How long has it been since you've expressed to God how much you love Him? How long has it been since you've spent time with God? How is your communion with your Heavenly Father? Let's bow for prayer, please. I don't stand here this morning and judge. I just know what it's like to live the Christian life. And I know that there are times when our communion with our Heavenly Father is not what it ought to be. And maybe this morning, maybe you just need to come to this altar and take a moment to just say, God, I love you. I want you to know that I love you. I want to experience your person. I want to know you as a real person, that you're not just a thought. You're not just an idea. 
you are my heavenly Father. And maybe this morning you need to come and just kneel in his presence and worship him and express love for him. Maybe your, your fellowship with him is not what it ought to be. You're out of fellowship. And maybe this needs to be the day when you say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've not been like it should. I want it to be like it should. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I want to invite you to step out from where you are, or you can right where you are. Simply tell God, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that my sin has separated me from you. I know that there is nothing that I can do to bring myself back into your fellowship, into relationship with you. But I know that Jesus Christ died and rose again so that I could be restored, and I trust him now as my Lord and Savior. You can pray that or pray something similar right where you are, or you can come and let one of our pastors take the word of God and help you know how you can have that personal fellowship with him. But whatever God may be speaking to our hearts about this morning, if God is tugging on your heart, don't wait. Just step out right from where you are. We're going to stand to our feet with heads bowed and eyes closed. But the question I want you to address in your heart is, where is my fellowship with God? Am I where I need to be? Maybe this morning you just want to come and kneel and say, God, I love you. God knows I love you. Yeah, but it sure is nice to hear it every once in a while. We tell our kids that sometimes, don't we? You know I love you. Yeah, it's good to hear it. Sometimes we treat God like the husband and his wife said, you never say I love you. He said, I told you when we married that I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. That should never be our attitude toward God. We sh- I don't think God ever tires of experiencing our love relationship with Him and feeling and seeing and hearing us in worship love Him. As we love Him, I believe we also experience that He loves us in a deeper way. Why? Because we're in relationship with Him. We're in communion with Him. Look, my communion with the Father is not just when we take communion. What a blessed truth that the God of the universe is available 24 hours a day at any time for me. I I hear people say, I have no one to talk to. And I know what we mean by that. We mean we have no human being to talk to. But when I begin to think that way, I wonder, am I really thinking of God as real? Do I really believe God is real? He's my heavenly Father. And I can talk to Him just like I'm talking to you right now. And it's just as real. Father, we love you this morning. We know that you love us. Thank you for bringing us. We thank you that we are in communion with you. May we live like it. May we experience it daily. May it radically transform us as we experience and we extend to others gospel-shaped community. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. We thank you for your two great works. We thank you that you created us in your image to be in communion with you. And though sin has marred it, we are grateful that your redemptive work has restored us. And we look forward to the day, Father, when with those of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, 
we will be in perfect communion with them and in perfect communion with you. And we will gather around your throne and we will sing, Worthy is the, the one who sits on the throne, the holds the title deed to this earth. And worthy is the Lamb that was slain that has redeemed us. And we thank you for that. May you be praised. May God and the Lamb be praised forever. In Jesus' name, amen.